welcome to Glass Onion Minute. I'm Austin Pryor, your host for this week 19 of the podcast, and my guest is Sarah Ift Decker. Say hi, Sarah. Hello, thanks for having me. Good stuff. Uh, this is minute number 91. Our minute runs from one hour, 30 minutes, and zero seconds all the way up to 1 hour, 30 minutes, 59 seconds, and 24 frames. This minute starts with the tail end of Blanc's speech. General, even. They don't even see her die. She just goes to sleep. No. No. They're all more than capable. About the nature of the murder, in which we see Claire and Birdie cast as the murderer and continues in the bathroom as Helen skulls some hard kombucha and Blanc skulls her about it. Whoa, 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 whoa. I thought you said you didn't drink. Oh, this is drink. This is some funky hell stuff. No, you give me that. That's hard kombucha. That's... Jared Leto's hard kombucha. That's what is that? That's nine percent alcohol. So get off. That. How many of these things you have? I don't know, I, but I feel fine. Okay. We need to focus. We need to focus. We need to find the O's, the opportunities. We gotta open them up. It's time to push. No, 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 no. We're not pushing anything right now. Listen, I feel good. I think maybe you should lie down. We're running out of time, Blanc. Yeah, so what did you think of this minute? Ah, I thought this was a pretty good minute. I like that uh, I like that shot the way they do that, right, with the uh, all of them being cast as potentially yeah. the murderer and you actually kind of seeing each of them briefly. Uh, so I like that scene a lot that we get the tail end of. Yeah, so it's like in not a flashback, not a flash forward, but a flash what if, you know, like a, 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 yes. a, yeah, a hypothetical. Um, and so, yeah, just one of the many kind of, filmmaking like the, pers- the playing with perspective the things that uh, that Johnson does in this movie yeah and um and I just thought Janelle Monet is like obviously great in this movie um and I think yeah. particularly in this scene because she's really walking that tightrope of like every time she borders on cartoonishness with the drunkenness she pulls it back mm-hmm. um and keeps it so she's keeping it funny but keeping it believable yeah the whole time uh because some of her reactions in this like are very big but they're very kind of yeah. you know appropriate for real world drunkenness when you're not quite aware of how drunk you are which is just right perfect. and sh- yeah and not used to being drunk right not she used says to that she doesn't drunk. drink yeah yeah she she just thinks it's the like you know uh, life-giving effect of this uh, funky health stuff that <laughs> she's drinking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I think that's what has her, yeah, really enjoying it. But she, um, yeah, and she gives this like this big eye roll when um, Blanc takes the uh, takes the bottle off her, and it's just a perfect kind of sign of somebody, you know, losing their inhibitions. And she's using her hands mm-hmm. more because she's just getting kind of wild and expressive. Um, which is yeah really fun to watch and then <laughs> she does this amazing uh i feel fine and the pause just before the word fine is just that little bit too long for a sober person yeah <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and the vacant stare in her eyes is just a little bit too kind of out of it for a sober person so just again mm-hmm. like just spot on with the with the comedy and of it but but still keeping the kind of integrity of it like so we can believe in yeah in helen 
Um, yeah. uh, I also really like, I mean, one of the other kind of comedy elements that I really enjoy with this film is uh, Miles Braun's constant name drops that he has at various yeah. points and that we get the callback to with um, Benoit Blanc says, you know, that's hard kombucha. And then Pazin goes, that's Jared Leto's hard kombucha. <laughs> and need to remind us specifically of that. Uh, Antel's is 9% alcohol, which yeah. is uh, pretty, pretty serious for somebody who does not drink regularly. Yes. Yeah, that'll that'll do it. And they and they don't commit to how many she's had. Whereas in the um, in the script, it says, like, how many of these have you had? And, and um, Helen says, uh Helen holds up three fingers, but then says uh, two, I think, um, which is maybe a little bit, you know, too cartoonish with the kind of drunkenness. So yeah. they, that's maybe why they took it out. Or, or but, but I don't know. But yeah, so they don't they don't commit to how many they have. So they can be quite kind of elastic about how drunk she is, which is a good a good mm-hmm. way to do it. But um, but yeah, so the Jared Leto name drop is interesting because it's one of two celebrity name drops. I mean, there there are others, but they're two kind of product mm-hmm. ones. Uh, the, yeah. the hot sauce, the uh, Jeremy Renner, Renning Hot, <laughs> and then um, and uh, this one for the kombucha. And I, I'm not sure what it's kind of trying to say about these celebrities because like... Yeah. Because while I will say that, you know, the... Opinions expressed in this uh, podcast are the opinions of those expressing them and not necessarily reflective of the opinion of Glass Onion Inc. Jared Leto's scum. Yeah. <laughs> he's a he's a, right. he's a terrible, terrible person. And mm-hmm. um and uh yeah, so like and the stuff that has come out about that guy like how he still has a career in this kind of uh, you mm-hmm. know post me too world is kind of crazy right. and um so and i can't imagine that ryan johnson's choice of him is kind of is unaware of that or you yeah. know what i mean um Right. Yeah. I and mean, it kind of makes sense, right? As somebody that he's, you know, aligning miles with to some degree. Yes. Yeah. But then that makes me think, is he doing the same with Jeremy Renner? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and who, who knows? I, I don't know much about Jeremy Renner and no, uh, what I, he's what he's like behind the camera. Neither do I. No, he got the, the, uh, the only thing I know about him that I didn't like. And I really thought this was nasty, but it's no, it's nowhere near in the in the realm of the things that have that uh, Jared Leto has been accused of is he was kind of like doing like a fictional slut shaming. He was talking about um, mm. uh, uh, Scarlett Johansson's character, um, Black Widow, and oh, saying right. that like, yeah. oh, you know, she slept with two different guys at work, uh, you know, of the Avengers, you know. And it's, it was, you know, it was all said in humor and stuff, but it's still like, eh, that's still your yeah. mentality. And then when he got a bit of flack for it, he yeah. went on one of the night um, nighttime talk shows in the States and just kind of doubled down and tr- tried to make a joke yeah. of like, and he actually used the word slut with his slut shaming. So he wasn't like, you know, he wasn't holding back. And he was just like saying, you know, yeah. if somebody if somebody at your work sleeps with two different guys at your work, she's a slut, you know. And he's like, Jesus. Um, no, 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 she's not, Jeremy. She's a person. <laughs> and yeah. she yeah. and we have Ugh. no idea God. about her moral character or how good or yeah. bad those choices were. Um and, also, uh, nobody would ever say that about a man who exactly. did the exact same thing. Like, so it's, it's get right out. there, and he just makes it as a joke, yep. and he's just like, 
wow, Jeremy, not cool. So, but maybe Ryan Johnson knows more than we do and is... Um, maybe. However, um, Jeremy Renner's image is used in the movie, which I think he yeah. would have to sign off on. So I think the Jeremy yes. Renner reference is a friendly one and the Jared Leto one... I can't imagine. Maybe it isn't. Yeah. So that's, yeah. you know, <laughs> that's all I can uh, yeah. Put, put. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm just laying it yeah. out there. We don't know. We don't know is the answer. Right. Um, Though I do think both of them, uh, even if the Jeremy Renner one is maybe more of a friendly one, I do think both of them are kind of to some extent, you know, poking fun at the sort of celebrity, you know, product endorsement kind of definitely. things. Right. Yeah. And like, you know, what expertise does Jared Leto have yeah. in hard kombucha? Yeah. What expertise does Jeremy Renner have in hot sauce? Yeah. Why would you buy Jeremy Renner's hot sauce or... Jared Leto's hard kombucha. Yeah, yeah. But then I wonder, like, I get the impression that these might not be uh, products for sale, I, I for general right. sale. I think they're like, I just make this as a hobby. And the only way I know how to express my hobby is making like fully finished products right. that have barcodes. I don't know if they have barcodes. But that, right. Well, that, one like, of them... Well, one of them, there's an, an earlier minute, Miles does say that he, like, sent me a case and I think he wants me to invest. Um, but no, I think he said, I think he said, I invited him to invest in Alpha early. So as a thank you, he sent me a case of these. That's, I could be wrong, but my interpretation of that line was like... Maybe I'm wrong. I, I, I invited Renner in um, early on. And he made so much money off investing in Alpha that he sent me the um, the thing. We'll have to get uh, insert clip here that'll clarify. Right, we'll have to yeah. we'll have to go back and check. Yeah, because I go. I don't know because I think I, that's maybe the what's going on with Jeremy Renner's, but I think maybe Jared Leto wants him to invest and wants to actually sell the kombucha. Oh, I see. Okay, well, we're, yeah, okay. So that's a little. But I don't research know. I'd have note, to double check. We'll, we'll go back to yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, speaking of celebrity culture, I noticed that there is another copy of the same issue of the face magazine here in yes. the bathroom, uh, which I thought was a great touch. Yeah. And there's uh, and that's one of the many things that we see kind of in part, at least through mirrors. The other things that we see yes. mostly through mirrors uh, there, there's another one I'll mention in the next scene, but in this scene we get uh, largely through a mirror. There's a, uh, there's a Degas painting yeah. uh, that is behind Helen. And there is then also this, uh, this Matisse painting that is behind uh, Benoit Blanc, which uh, we kind of see both of those kind of part see them and part see them through the mirrors. <sighs> Okay, so the the um the figure the uh the black silhouetted figure is a Matisse, is it? Yes. Okay. Um, yeah, because um, my excuse for not researching those was that they didn't show um that they that they had showed in previous minutes, so it's somebody else's. Uh, Fair enough. <laughs> they appeared on screen first in the previous minute, so I assume. Uh, you know, my predecessor sorted that out. So um, who's the other painter then you mentioned? Uh, so there's a Degas painting, which is behind Helen. Ah, very good. And that's... Oh, and actually, I I just looked up the painting. I was trying to, re I was yeah. trying to remember if I was right about this, but it's uh, a painting which uh, it's two people in a cafe and um, there are two titles for it. One is Dans un Café, In a Café. The other title is L'Absinthe. Uh, absinthe, absinthe, the point being that nice. it is two people who 
are presumed to be very drunk. Yeah. So kind of funny that they are behind Helen in this. Perfect. Yeah, yeah. And then it's, uh, yeah, and you can actually pause. I've paused here and you can actually see Degas' um, signature on it near uh, what I think is an ashtray. And uh, yeah, it looks like a cool painting, but I, I'm, uh, I must confess I'm not familiar with other than the name. I, my my um, knowledge of these artists is probably on a par with Miles Braun. <laughs> i.e. very well, low it's it's uh it's a little beyond my main period of uh, focus academically but uh i you know did i did you know i did a way i did art history surveys in college so. right right so yeah because you are a medieval historian isn't that right yes so yes. um so did you find that uh any use in this movie actually i'm just trying to think because there's, there's a lot of art here but there's not much that's that old no, the the closest we would get is uh, the Mona Lisa, which is you know just just beyond what you would probably consider to be the medieval period. Yeah. Uh, but that is not unfortunately included in uh, our five minutes, so yes. yeah. we will yeah. we will not get to have we'll my discussions on. of the Mona Lisa. <laughs> uh, yeah, hopefully again. Okay, so what I was just going to say about that issue of the face as well is that like when I saw it on first viewing, I just saw it and go, yeah, yeah, that's the magazine, and he's put it in house, but. I just realized that like there this is just before they go out to have the um the the the, the disruption speech that is disrupted by uh by Helen as Andy. Mm-hmm. Um so that's where the magazine is. So there's two copies. So there's at least two copies. So right. he's like being really heavy-handed with this with this clue cuz it's like I right. get you know it's just typical miles of like just really hammering yeah. at home and like you know uh because he's got like two copies uh of like quite at this point an obscure magazine you know an individual copy of a fashion magazine or a pop culture magazine or whatever is yeah. not a common thing and to have two of them in the same house just does right. seem uh yeah does seem a little but maybe you need to do that for a for a, for a um, mystery weekend. You kind of any clue that you place in plain sight is going to be hard to distinguish from all the million things in any home that aren't clues. So maybe right. in fairness, especially because he has, especially because he has such an let's say eclectic set of items in his yes. home. Yeah, yeah, because so. these these paintings these paintings and and he is gonna. Uh, Blanc has a line later on about the paintings in the bathroom um, and these these paintings I think it's like w- what has been running through this whole series is people talking about how these paintings from all these different eras are just placed on the wall one of them famously yeah. upside down and they're just right. uh, they show kind of no taste and there's no kind of cohesion to how they're presented um, and there's kind of no respect given and I do think that's the intent but it just it makes me think each time I hear it it's like if we liked Miles as a character if he was this like you know really altruistic rich guy who you know was starting a big foundation and was like very mm-hmm. you know kind of one of the good billionaires if that can be said kind of thing and and was his one indulgence was that he spent a lot on art and threw it all together because he respected it all and it all deserves equal 
place and it's all part of the crazy human conversation. You know what I mean? You could you could say that this is just right. an eclectic kind of fun way to look at it because in a way, um, we shouldn't. Um, in a way, part of the problem with the way art is discussed and enjoyed and everything is that there's so much elitism and there's so much pretentiousness and that older art is kind of held up and revered to this you know kind of ancestor worship Mm -hmm. level where it can't it can't be kind of seen as just a thing that mere mortals produce Mm -hmm. you know right but then at the same time i think in turn especially because of you know what our overall impression is of miles it's very much this kind of satire i think of uh, the wealthiest collection of art and their hoarding of these cultural objects and placing them in locations, right, where they are fundamentally completely now uh, inaccessible to the general population. I mean, the these two paintings, right? So uh, the Degas painting is in the Musée d'Orsay, I believe. Uh, The Matisse painting, uh, I had to look it up because I have not actually seen that in person, but it's in the Scottish National Gallery of Modern Art. These are both pretty famous paintings. Like, I am not an expert in 19th 20th century art and I recognize both of these paintings yeah watching the film like they're pretty well-known paintings and this guy has them in his bathroom (laughs) yeah yeah it's great um yeah he's the worst but (laughs) yeah and there is there's something especially insulting about these just being like in the bathroom, right? They don't yeah. even have the kind of pride of place in the living room yeah. that, you know, the Mona Lisa and some other things yeah. have. This is this is the art that he pops into his bathroom. Yeah. I just he, I just ran out of space. I just love this stuff so much. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure he could give you like some canned speech about each painting and why it's so important to him personally and what connection he has with it, but it's like right. you know that it's just like yeah. You know, something the 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 art dealer told them to say about each one or whatever, you know. Yeah. Um. So yeah, but it made me think of the magazine, The Face, and uh, I I used to have I only ever had one issue of it, and it was actually it had Edward Norton on the cover, um, oh. dressed as Tyler Durden, and it was this whole uh-huh. interview with Edward Norton, and the whole thing kind of gave away in plain sight the twist of Fight Club, but didn't but I didn't cop it. I didn't I didn't notice it. It was a really cool, really clever thing. Um mm-hmm. because it, it was just some of these pictures that were famous at the time of uh, you know and pro- used as part of the marketing of Brad Pitt in these mm-hmm. particular outfits and these particular poses and stuff. And it was um Edward Norton you know redoing them mm. and there was i think there's one of him with you know bloody mouth and stuff like that and just doing a lot of the fight club stuff and it was huh. you know done as part of the fight club release and then that ties back into the paintings because there is um a painting of kind of edward norton as mm-hmm. brad pitt in fight club and i don't know if you know that yeah. painting and who did that or whatever but that was that's come up a couple of times as well and it just weirdly i don't think that means anything it's just it's just this right. kind of thing of like those uh, two characters being the same character and that being captured by by different kind of uh artists and uh yeah playing around with the kind of iconography of mm-hmm. Br- brad pitt as as uh, tyler durden um yeah so helen is just really loving how this uh health drink makes her feel here and she's really <laughs> have, have you ever drank 
something you thought was non-alcoholic or had more alcohol than you were expecting and being kind of hit hit like a ton of bricks by Oh yeah, I definitely. So, uh, I, I enjoy craft beer and there's definitely are craft beers that are, you t don't expect tasting them at quite how high yeah, the ABV yeah. is. Uh, and then you look at the label and you're like, oh, oh, no wonder I feel like this. Uh, that, <laughs> that thing that I thought was probably like 6% is 9% and I have had three of them. <laughs> yeah. They are going to, that's going to knock you out. But uh, yeah, I mean, I'm a lightweight anyway. I don't, I just don't drink very often. So when I do, it just, it, it takes a comically small amount to really hit me and uh, I can, I can feel it. So I'm a, I'm a cheap date. Um, yeah. So, oh yeah. So something we're asking um, is uh, on, on the Monday of every guest is, uh, did you get to see this movie in its very limited theatrical release? I think it was one week it was out. I did not. It was a very, very busy time for me. And so I did not make it to the theater. Uh, I have, however, I will say I've seen this movie, well, now three times because I watched it one additional time prior to recording this episode. Excellent. Uh, previously, I saw it shortly after it came out. And then actually even just a couple weeks after that, I was traveling abroad with my parents and we were struggling to figure out what we wanted to watch. And we were we were in Paris like around New Year's Eve, like on New Year's Eve, and we're looking for something to watch. And my mother started watching that had started watching Knives Out and then actually is uh, one of those people who hated Daniel Craig's accent so much that she could not continue to watch. <laughs> and so she agreed to watch Glass Onion only if and you can do this on Netflix, we watched it oh, dubbed into no French way. with English subtitles. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. <clears throat> so uh, and does your mother speak French? Some. Okay. <laughs> the the point was it had it basically it was the English subtitles. It was essentially just that she just didn't want to hear yeah. them talk, but wanted to see the movie. Oh, that's hilarious. That's that's amazing. Um, yeah, because like I'm a real stickler for accents, and I so I don't know why I, I don't know why I don't hate his accent. I don't know why I want to forgive mm. it. So I I guess I just like the movie. I like him. I like the the approach. I mean, I like the I like the campiness of the yes. accent. Yeah. I I think I would actually like it less if he was trying to do a serious American Southern accent, but it's just so silly. Yeah, yeah, I guess, and and I think the accent has become more kind of internally consistent in this movie, mm -hmm. um, and you can like in real life you can encounter people with the most bizarre mixed accents. Uh, which, oh, yeah. is, which is kind of often used to kind of like as a headcanon justification of why somebody talks such a way in mm -hmm. a movie. But the big difference between real life and a bad accent in a movie is that question yeah. of internal consistency. So if somebody yeah. makes, you know, a certain sound that oh, it's kind of an Irish American accent. So he kind of makes these sounds sound very Irish and these sounds sound very American and that's usually what it will be quite consistently. Mm -hmm. And then, but it's when somebody is all over the map and just mixing it up, you're just like, no, this is, the, the, that's because this actor is having difficulty with accents, you know? And yeah, um, yeah I don't know. I, I, yeah, I, I do find it easier to forgive. And as you say, there's an arch kind of campness to it. And there's, uh, 
Yeah, and it is kind of settling in. But there was talk of, and I don't know where I read it. I think maybe Fred French just said this to me that he had read this that there was there was going to be uh, in the sequels that this uh, Blanc would show up and have a different accent, and he would do a different like kind of off, not not very good accent mm-hmm. in the different movies. And I was totally in favor of that. I, I've read that oh, too. Okay, that that so was it was an, it was a thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would have loved that. Um, and it's even kind of hinted at in the first movie when you know, because um, Chris uh, Chris Evans' character says to him, uh, uh, you know, your uh, your foghorn leghorn or whatever, and he's kind of calling the line. I remember being slightly ambiguous is that you don't know if he's just calling him calling him that because of his accent or, he, or if he's kind of calling him out on being phony and that not being his real accent mm-hmm. you know um but uh but yeah so that's anyway that's that's that moment so so it, it looks like that ship has sailed and now this is how benoit block yeah is. um yeah yeah until the inevitable prequel but we'll see right no it's not it's not inevitable uh, <laughs> <laughs> um yeah so so, uh, yeah, and people have, if they've been listening all the way since the start, they have heard your take on Knives Out. But where does this movie lie for you, uh, just as a movie in general, but also uh, related to your your opinion of and feelings about Knives Out? I liked Knives Out, I would say, slightly more, but I really, really enjoyed this. Yeah. Uh, I think one of the reasons I probably liked Knives Out slightly more is that something about a lot of the characters, even though they're terrible, they're also terrible people for the most part, I felt like I found parts of them and elements of their characters maybe a little more sympathetic, whereas this, uh, with the exception of Helen, I think just all of these people immediately come off as terrible people that I never want to spend more than two minutes with. Yeah. <laughs> so even even Lionel? Lionel... Lionel, I guess I don't feel quite that extent about, but I do also at the same time kind of feel like Lionel actually, in my opinion, I don't think they actually give him enough to do. Yeah. I actually don't think we get as much sense of, his, of the kind of depth of his personality or I don't know, I mean, maybe for the others, it's just we feel like we get the depth and the depth is very shallow. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think it's like the others are playing, you know, slightly bigger characters and he's kind of like mm-hmm. the silent, he's very serious type. And so it's it's kind of like he might have an equal number of lines or you know screen time to the others i haven't checked but he he feels like he's got less because as you say he's an understated character and um uh i think lionel's kind of the the most kind of damning thing about lionel is that he knows better you know he's going along with miles um especially in the big project he's going along with miles in all these different ways and he knows that it's like this is not a good path and and these are and he yeah and, and his conscience is kind of playing on adam but he's still like uh, yeah just um sucking the the golden teeth uh that they're all on yeah and yeah. he's and he's very much you know seems like somebody right who who knows that what he does isn't ethical it's yeah. not the best use he could make of what seem to be very considerable scientific skills yeah um by that you know but that he is doing it anyway so he 
he seems less unpleasant to be around. Yes, yeah, perhaps, you could have a nicer than some of these other people. Definitely, yeah. But yeah. he, you know, is. I think. I think we have to ultimately accept that he's he's not a good person. No. Um, actually, the person I probably most want to spend time with would probably be would probably be Peg. Actually, but uh, yeah. he's uh, not really in our minutes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Everyone loves Peg. Peg's great. Um, so, uh, I think that is uh, about a good time to wrap up our discussion for today. Thank you for joining me today, Sarah. Uh, is there anything you want to plug? Yeah, so I will quickly plug my podcast, Media Evil, a medieval pop culture podcast, where I, as a medieval historian, talk about movies and other pop culture representations of the medieval past and mostly what they get wrong. Okay, and uh, listeners can connect with this show on the social media platform formerly known as Twitter, at Glass Onion Min, all one word. And if you can rate, review, and make sure you're subscribed to this podcast on your podcatcher of choice, that would be cool. Uh, if you want to hear some of my old podcast ramblings you'll find them at malkovichminutes.net and um, that is a movies by minute take on being John Malkovich uh, which will return at an undetermined date in the future. Bye for now and be sure to come back tomorrow for another Glass Onion Minute. <laughs>